to Where You Lead, a podcast where we, a real-life mother and daughter duo, rewatch Gilmore Girls and discuss the misadventures of fictional mother and daughter duo Lorelai and Rory Gilmore. I am Tessa Dare, a writer and the author of the paranormal mystery series The Karans and Chronicles and Beth's Daughter. And I'm Beth, Tessa's mom. I'm also a writer. We're going to give you a little bit of background on how we got to this point today. We used to watch the Gilmore Girls religiously when Tess was Rory's age, and I was just a little bit older than Lorelai. Tess's friends in school used to compare us to the Gilmores because I was a single mom, and Tess went to a private prep school that we could not afford. Mm-hmm. We have always had long analytical conversations about movies and TV, music, politics, and culture. Um, when Tess moved to Seattle, we continued these talks over the phone. Sometimes they went pretty long, and by long I mean over an hour. (laughs) Um, One day it occurred to us that we should move these discussions over to the digital world, maybe even into a podcast. And the Gilmore Girls felt like a good place to start. So here we are. Yeah. Uh, So every week we will start off with a synopsis of the episode along with the date it aired before heading into our discussion. I am currently not actually drinking coffee. I am drinking uh, sparkling grapefruit ginger yerba mate, um, which is caffeinated. Uh, Oh, another quick (laughs) note about this episode is that today in Seattle, where I am located, the Blue Angels are practicing for Seafair. So we're going to do our best to edit those sounds out of the show. I apologize if we don't do... A perfect job of it. Uh, but yeah, so I'm drinking yerba mate. It's um, a bastardization of traditional yerba mate, but it is quite delicious and caffeinated. It sounds absolutely disgusting to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, and I said it when I laughed, I was going to pull back from the microphone because I have a loud laugh. But um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a pretty basic coffee drinker. It's coffee and cream for me. So I, I, don't, I don't put anything in it else into it but i've had enough coffee today because in st louis it's actually a little bit later than it is in in seattle so i've had enough coffee i'm just on the water now and we don't have any um loud noises right now in st louis however um i do have a dog in the background and occasionally she does bark her name is abby and if she barks we'll just give her credit (laughs) anyway today today we are discussing episode five from season one titled cinnamon's wake It originally aired November 2nd, 2000, and Tess will give you a synopsis. Yeah, this one, I do feel like this episode is a little bit harder to do an overview of than some of the others, just because it's kind of a, there's there's not one B plot, there's like a bunch of tiny little plots. Um, This is, I don't don't know if this should be our official term for this, but this is one of the um, setting up the town characters episodes. It's a a town episode. Um, So the... The primary overview is basically that the Rory and Dean plot is kind of heating up a little bit, as is Lorelai and Max. Uh, And then the big incident of the episode is that Rory and Lorelai's neighbors, uh, Babette and Maury, their cat Cinnamon, dies and they have a wake for her yeah i think that's pretty much the overview uh, that's the so overview and, and you make a good yeah. point too about um there are 
they do seem to have different kinds of episodes. There's a town episode. Yeah. Sometimes there's it's all it's a school episode where she you know everything's going on at school. There was that one episode where they when they went golfing that was more of a family yes. pa- a grandparents family episode. So yeah, they do they do that. We did get to see a lot of townspeople in this one. However, there were also a lot of townspeople that we'll never see again. It's like they're they're just shots of them in the crowd. Yeah. It was like who are these people? We never see them again. But yeah, anyway. I, I th- think this is the first episode where we get kirk's name as kirk said yes. out loud it is that is very good yes um but yeah the, sh- the show in general is a very big ensemble cast uh which i think is the size of this particular ensemble cast is kind of unusual especially for television at the town they did a pretty good job at keeping the minor characters consistent uh for yeah. a lot of the series it was um, the, with the notable exception of Kirk, and he, he's kind of an interesting <laughs> character because I almost feel like the writers are like, well, we need somebody to do different things and be a, a certain kind of character, and yeah. then after this guy, this actor, I guess, had appeared, and I'd, I'd like to get their take on this, actually. After he had appeared in several episodes, they probably realized, we could keep doing this with him. We can give him a real name, and he stays that character, but he does a different thing in every episode, or in every episode that he's in, and he does. Yeah. Throughout the series, he has a different career. He's kind of a different job. Yeah. He is. He does everything. Anytime they have a, a, a need to fill... They put Kirk in there. Um, so yeah, so let's uh, get into the specifics of the episode. We start with a cold open over at the grandparents' house. However, Richard is away on business, and Emily tells Lorelai that her cousin Claudia has died. Lorelai has no idea who that is, and Emily explains that she's okay. Richard's grandmother's sister's girl, sister's daughter. Yeah, yeah and. And there's a couple things in this scene, too. Don't forget the Nazi stuff. So, um... <laughs> yes, yes. That, one yes, of the, that one of the funniest jokes they've ever had. The, the yes. thing about the father's... Grand, it's a father's grandmother's... His, it's Richard's grandmother's sister's girl. You're right. And yes. she says it like that. She says, girl. And I related to this because I have a family full of lots of these kinds of, of connections. And in mm-hmm. fact, just this week on Facebook, some one of my distant relatives who lives in Mississippi uh, showed up. And I'm not friend, Facebook friends with her, but I was with her grandmother, who was my mother's cousin. But she died about a year ago, her grandmother, my mother's cousin. So she um, she said something about her. She's been gone a year. She was just kind of celebrating her life in a, in a post, but it showed up for me. And so I, I introduced myself, and I said, you don't know me. My name may not seem familiar, but your grandmother was my mother's cousin. Mm-hmm. And then we had a little bit of a conversation about what the other connections were. I said, your great-grandmother is somebody I'm named for. That's because my mom lo- loved her so much. Mm-hmm. And she was like, she just, you know. So anyway, I'm pointing this out because... I have these kinds of connections. So when she's describing it, I'm like, oh my God, this is so familiar to me. Yeah, for sure. But Lorelai is completely uninterested in going to the funeral. Emily's basically trying to get Lorelai to go to the funeral. And Lorelai says, "Mm, not this time. And Emily responds, I don't think Claudia is planning to die a second die time. Die again. Yeah. Um, uh, and then and then we get the great, the like unexpectedly very funny Nazi joke. Um, which is... It, is it is very funny so but the background leading up to it is that he's in germany oh yes so, you Richard's know she doesn't she doesn't want rich in germany she 
I guess says he's he's at way of business and and Laura says, mm-hmm. Well where? And uh she says he's in Germany and he says, Well I didn't realize he had Nazi friends. Or your fa and she said, Yeah, your father's insuring Nazis now. I mean there's such this whole, you know, yeah discussion about this. And you know, you can have business in Germany and it's not necessarily with, with Nazis. But then yeah. there's a funny joke at the end. You wanna tell it the Rudolph Gottfried joke? I didn't I don't think I wrote all of it down. But okay. I, well but says the it- context is is that there's just this constant competition between Lorelai and her mother over yes. who can can get the other one, who can yes. catch the other one in a in a not ca- not understanding that something is a joke. Who is Although wittier, I do feel who is like smarter? Up, in, up until now, it has mostly been Lorelai doing it, yes, which is yes, part of but, what the joke is is basically Emily showing Lorelai up in a moment yes. when Lorelai does not expect it at all. No, she did, and and Lorelai, you know, it's like she really does not get sometimes how smart and funny her mother is totally. but uh but but she pulls a joke on her and says something about the like oh it, it does oh yes we do actually have some nazi friends I, I don't remember if she says a name but she says nice old man interesting stories and lorelei says mom you hung out with nazis that's hideous or something and emily goes no lorelei that was a joke yes <laughs> Rudolph Gottfried is the friend. It's, that's what they said. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And Emily that's what has, I have written down. Emily has just great deadpan delivery. It sounds serious. We don't realize yeah. it's a joke until... And then after that, Rory cracks up. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and it, it's like... Rory's and Lorelai, it, yeah. yeah, she loves it. Lorelai looks at her like with this "you are a traitor" look, and anyway, <laughs> yeah. and then we, and then we cut yeah. to the credits. Well, and I do think part of the joke is also that like it maybe is a little. I mean, either it. I mean, it maybe is a little bit believable that because they're such an old moneyed family, maybe they would know Nazis, and then well, Emily yeah. just sort of says it so casually, like, "Oh yeah, we did know Nazis. Interest, a nice old man. Interesting stories, like." It's just like nonchalant, and it's that mm-hmm. nonchalance that Lorelai does to Emily all the time that lulls Lorelai into this sense of uh, like f- this sort of false comfort that this is real. And then Emily's like, "No, of course it's a joke. <laughs> of course we don't know Nazis. That's a joke." I did write down here really quick that once again I love the opening credits. You know, it's interesting. Whenever I see opening credits in a TV show, I always think about uh, if it's in the first season. They had to have filmed quite a few episodes before they created the credits because they're taking scenes from the from the show, and and in fact, by the time of this episode, and this is number five, I think we have seen every one of the episodes that are in the credits, except maybe one or two. There I are a couple of shots that are not. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure the up. next the next episode has some of them because there's like one shot yeah. in particular that I know comes from the next episode. And and one was in this one. It's the one where, where Lane is dancing, and Skanking. I just the the, the the snippets that they choose are just great. And I just really love the opening credits of this show. And I I always watch them. There are some shows that I never you know you watch it once or twice and you, and then you skip through it, which we can do now. You couldn't do when it was live, but um <laughs> yeah. you know when we're recording it or if you're watching it on streaming, you can you can skip through the credits. And I never do with this show. I just I I see something new every time. And plus I love the the song. It's Carol King. Yeah. So. So yeah, so then the next scene, the next scene after the credits is in fact the scene where Lane is skanking in Rory's room. Skanking is a, a kind of dance. Skanking? Skanking. Yeah, that's that's you, what it's called. 
How do you spell spell that? S K. Uh, yeah, I think it's S K A N K I N G. I'm not an expert on it, but that's Lorelai actually calls it out. She 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 mentions that Lane is skanking, and that I think it was pretty big during ska. I think it's like the dance that goes with like ska music. So, but it looks like she's punching. Yeah, she, it's kind of like a punchy kicky dance. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's yeah, very so athletic. The, I think it was like it's like not exactly a mosh pit dance, but like close to that oh wow Um, okay yeah so that's the one thing that's happening in this scene is that lane is hanging out in rory's room listening to loud music and skanking and meanwhile rory and lorelei are in the kitchen um and rory is telling lorelei the the chilton bake sale is today which lorelei already knows and says she's on top of but rory doesn't quite believe her because her mom is not really a baker which of course i'm pretty sure even when we first saw this i was immediately like well yeah she's gonna get suki to do it (laughs) well and so that's that's an interesting thing because in this scene, I think Lorelai has screwed up enough times. Yeah. And, and we know she's organized and competent and, and all of those things. But she has messed up just enough times and been late and, and you know, and then the whole missing the, the exam last time that we are with Rory in the moment being worried about this and how she yeah. reminds her, you got to do this. It's expected. Everybody does it, you know. And she, it's not like she's going to get in trouble if Lorelai doesn't do it, but it's yeah. going to be embarrassing if she doesn't. Yeah. Everybody yeah. does this mom and 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 Lorelai's like I got this and what she didn't say and what we realized when we get to that scene was of course she's got this she has a full-time baker in her employee Uh so you know this is the one thing she will have is the food part (laughs) so (laughs) um I did just want to point out so uh they they reveal that Lane is in the room and uh Lorelai which you don't which Lorelai doesn't know she has no idea (laughs) And so Lorelai asks her, what does your mom think you're doing right now? And Lane responds, contemplating the reunification of the two Koreas. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know how common that is for actual expat Korean immigrants to do. But I will say I watched a South Korean rom-com TV show called Crash Landing on You. It's very fun, very cute. And literally the plot of it is this well-to-do businesswoman who's launching her own like sportswear and her fashion brand decides to be the model in her own fashion shoot, which involves like parachuting. And there's like a, a, a freak tornado when she's like parachuting oh in my her God. own sportswear and she gets blown over into North Korea. Oh, and like no. This, this romantic comedy show is about this South Korean woman trapped in North Korea, slowly falling in love with like one of the captains of the guard there. <laughs> but it, it was just really interesting to me because there are like multiple characters in the show who wholeheartedly believe uh, that, that, that the reunification of of the two Koreas will happen in their lifetimes. Like this is a prevalent part of the plot. Is this a TV show or a movie? It's a TV show. Okay. There are a number of South Korean TV shows that are like a limited run. So it does have like okay. an end. It's not like a okay. forever show. Okay. But yeah, anyway, cute show. Well, and that line made me think of it a lot. Well, what it made me think of was, was your your prep school that you went to. Yes. Had a lot of international students and 95% of them were South Korean. True. So did they did they never talk about this at school? Uh, they did not specifically talk about the reunification of the two Koreas, no. <laughs> um, I mean, I know there was a lot of... South Korea also has um, mandatory military service. Um, so mm. we did talk a little bit about that because I knew students who were literally going 
having to go straight into the military for two years before starting school or before they college yeah planned yeah or, or they had it deferred until right after college so no they did not talk about the reunification of the two koreas though i, I think I, and i don't think lane is seriously contemplating it either That's no just no the, the no, line no. she it, fed her mom but you know what she has some great lines about her korean mother i, I it's hilarious <laughs> all right so then the next scene um they go outside to go to school and babette and maury are walking their cat cinnamon in this adorable little wagon that they've made for her and that's just a sort of a, a brief scene just kind of reminding us that these two have this cat cinnamon and there's something wrong with the cat too there it's like she's not having a good a good day there's something she's a little under the weather and it's it's, it's foreshadowing we know what the title of, this, of the episode is and we know that that claudia has died so yeah. and that there's there's a funeral that component to this episode there's like a covered part of the wagon for when Cinnamon yeah. needs her private time. Um, and then Rory goes to the bus stop uh, and Dean sees her and follows her onto the bus. And okay, but before that, her. here's my question about her and the bus. Inconsistent. So this time she has a small backpack. The yeah. last time we saw her get on the bus, she had a backpack, a bag, and a, and a big duffel bag. Where did all that stuff go? <laughs> Well, I, I can invent uh, a reason, which is that maybe all the extra stuff was all of the catch-up stuff, and now she's caught up, but uh, no, it's it's inconsistent. Yeah. <laughs> There's, yeah. There is no explanation given. I assume it was just a, a one-time sight gag that would be too unwieldy to repeat <laughs> too many times. I get, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. But so Dean uh, starts teasing her and, and ask, tell, saying, oh, you're always so serious, and they have a little... Flirtatious scene here. Yes. And then he remind and then she says, You have to get off the bus. You gotta go to school. And then he reminds her that it is a bus. So and buses make stops. And buses make stops, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It actually starts with him accidentally scaring the crap out of her because he like she doesn't notice him because once again she's got her nose in a book and is completely unaware of the world. So he yep. sits down behind her and leans over and she like yells. She's mm-hmm. like totally unprepared. Uh, and then yep. she's like super uncomfortable and awkward. The whole time. And, and did you notice that neither one of them paid uh, a fee to get on the bus? Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Does, does, does she, she might have a card. I, but yeah, she, I think she I didn't waved something. But she, he well, just I didn't, on. He just popped on the But yeah, I mean, neither one of them paid their fare. So just pointing yeah, that out. Sure. Little things like that. Um, but yeah, but then he hops off. Uh, and then we go to the inn. This which, is a great scene. I, yeah, I love this, this scene. This is a good little Michelle scene. So a group of French people enter the inn um, and they hear Michelle speaking on the phone. He's speaking in English, but clearly has an accent. So one of them, one of the French dudes asks him something in French and he immediately pretends that he does not speak French and that he's just a simple boy from Texas. Um, I doesn't, I get the impression though that she, she told the French people when they made the yeah. reservation that she yeah. had a French speaking employee. Mm-hmm. But, she pulls him. So she she has, pulls him over and says that she's like, "I, I told yeah, them." Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And he has a great line. He says, "Fine, I shall be French, but I shall not be happy." So yeah. <laughs> well, even before that, he says, um, she, "She, she tells him that he needs to entertain the French people," and he says, 
Lorelai, I don't know how many French people you've met over the years, but most of them are insufferable. That is why I left France. <laughs> and Michel is insufferable. And yes. so he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> and I like I had the the captions on uh, when he goes over. So I figured out a little bit of what they said. He basically goes over and tells them that he was joking when he was pretending he couldn't speak English. And they mm-hmm. respond with, oh, you're so droll. So droll, yes. And he turns back to Lorelai and says, kill me now. Oh, but, but before that, they do the double kiss. So, uh, you know, the, oh, yes. the French double kiss the thing. Kiss. And then, then he says, kill me now. Yes, it's, it's a great scene. It's very Michelle. It, it's, almost, it's almost like they write specific scenes just to see how, how much laughter they can get out of the audience from Michelle. He's got a, he's a specific kind of character. He's a great foil, and I think they write specific scenes for him. So this is great. I mean, I guess it is an inn, so it does make sense that they would occasionally have foreign tourists. But yeah, of this course. definitely feels like a scene specifically written to show off Michelle. I shall be French, but I shall not be happy. Uh, so the next scene is the bake sale, and Lorelai has recruited Suki, so we get um, a shot of their table at the bake sale, and it looks fantastic. Just like It's not just cakes. one item. She yeah. didn't just make brownies like most nope. of the moms. They have a whole table of <laughs> gourmet items. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Gourmet, beautifully decorated. Uh, and, of course, Suki has of a course. torch. Yep. <laughs> Uh, a torch and she makes some sort of comment about how Rory can't hold the torch because professionals need to do it and then she yeah. immediately proceeds to set the table on fire because of which course she fortunately Lorelai is able to put out because I'm I'm yes. I'm as soon as she sets it on fire I'm thinking oh my god the whole thing's gonna go up in flames mm-hmm. but but there's lemonade right next in the next table and she she gets a lemonade and throws it on there and Lorelai's very quick thinking in that moment and puts it out mm-hmm. uh, and then Max Medina comes over to speak to her, and Lorelai is uh, immediately clearly a little uncomfortable. She sort of overemphasizes calling him Mr. Medina instead of Max. Um, she walks him does... pretty far away from the table, too. Yeah, to, he, before he they gets can start her talking. to. She walks him to another part of the campus. Yeah, he gets her to agree to go for a walk, and she takes the torch so that uh, Suki cannot light the table on fire. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, she does. Uh, and then, yeah, then they walk away. And Mr. Medina says that she's being icy, but she responds that she's being wintry. And he kind of apologizes for what happened in the last episode. If anyone doesn't remember, is uh, Rory was late for the test and he wouldn't let her take it. Uh, but he says that he would do it again. Hey, uh, I don't think, I think, I think Lorelai's moved on from that. I, I think she's icy to him in the, in this scene because she knows what's coming. She knows I mean, yeah. he's going to ask her out. She she knows the signals. She's had a lot of experience with men, and yeah. and she she feels that he, she knows he's she's trying to get him to stop because she doesn't know what to do about it. She knows yeah. what he wants to do that he wants to ask her out. She doesn't know how to handle that. And honestly, she's yeah. right. This is they you know I'm getting ahead here, but I was troubled by this whole situation, and I'm still troubled by it. But but go ahead. It's definitely awkward. Um, So yeah, he does try to get her to agree to a date and she eventually pretty reluctantly agrees to a quote-unquote lower commitment coffee date, um, which the way they do it, it is 
lower commitment, but this is, I feel like this is a regular thing and it sort of baffles me a little bit, this idea that like going out for coffee is automatically lower commitment than going out for dinner. I guess well, it's a lower money commitment, but like you can definitely end up hanging out at a coffee date just as long as you can at a dinner date. You can, but there's no alcohol involved. Yeah, I guess that's um, true. It's, it's usually daytime, so you can go home afterwards if it doesn't work out. Um, there, it is a lower, a lower key kind of situation where you can get comfortable with each other, but it's not for the reason they're doing it. She wants the coffee date because she's not sure about dating. Most people, most women, I think who want the, want the coffee date first are just not sure about the person. I mean, it's, it's an easier way to segue, I guess, into, into a dating experience where yeah. you're not, you know, where there's not wine involved and there's not, you know, an evening where you, you finish the date at the end of the night. So this is in the middle of the day, but I want to back up just a second here and give, I, cause I love the jokes. I love her witticisms. When he says, does she, does she drink coffee? She says only, or does she consume coffee? I think he says consume coffee and cause they're being He's they're being sarcastic with the other. She says only with my oxygen, yes. so and and because there's a running coffee gag in this. So and actually that's another reason why their first date in a coffee shop kind of fits well with the organization of the show, because yeah, and coffee's she, a big thing for her. And she does like set it up in such a way that it's basically like literally she's not going to go out of her way. She tells him where to find her, where she will be anyway. Yes. Like she always goes to this coffee place yes. after class. Yeah. Uh, so, she is really um, worried about the ethics of this. And he's yeah. not. And as a teacher, he really should be. And and I, I realize agree. this is pre Me Too, but yeah. there's all kinds of ethical considerations here. Well, and, and aside from that, there's the family part, you know, Lorelai doesn't want to betray her daughter. This is his, yeah. her teacher. What if what if she becomes um, what if this this guy becomes one of Rory's favorite teachers and her yeah. mom is dating him? There's just, yeah. Which, uh, what if she hates him? I, I, I do want to talk about the scene where Lorelai and Suki talk about it because we kind of get yeah. more into um, the, like, reasoning there. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. But we're not quite at that scene yet. Before that, we've got a conversation between Lane and Rory, which I, I don't know. Well, so I guess apparently Rory has asked Lane what city she would live in if she could live anywhere in the world. And Lane says Philadelphia because that's where M. Night Shyamalan lives, which I'm... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I have to assume that this is like right after The Sixth Sense and before all of the not great ones yes, that he yes. made. It's right about that time. The Sixth Sense was just made. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, again, this is this is their way of showing that these uh, Lane and Rory and Lorelai are all into music and movies. They're really into mm-hmm. pop culture. And Although Rory thinks Lane's answer is terrible. She does not understand why if you could live anywhere in the world, you would choose Philadelphia. <laughs> Yeah, well, I agree with that. Um, And then they pass uh, Babette and Maury, which is when we see that the cat is really not doing that great. They say he's dyspeptic, which I looked up dyspeptic because I wasn't sure what the literal definition is. And here's what the internet will tell you. It is an adjective of or having indigestion or Mm -hmm. consequent irritability or depression. 
So it sort of sounds like either you have stomach issues or you have emotional issues. I'm guessing the cat was throwing up and... and oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely yeah. digestion. They say they, they think it's because he ate some of the clams at Al's Pancake World. I think oh, we yeah, mentioned the clams. this before, but yeah, there's an ongoing joke about how Al's Pancake World is like the other restaurant in town and it's called yeah. that, but it doesn't actually... Or maybe it does serve pancakes, but it also just serves all kinds of random food. And Including a clams. lot of it is not good. And then at the end of the scene, Rory sees that Dean is working and she does this very awkward move to try to blow off Lane so that she can mm-hmm. go like awkwardly spy on him. And I do get that like this, the whole thread this episode is that like Rory straight up has no idea how to deal with the fact that she likes Dean. Like, just every single scene, she's being super awkward. But I do not understand why she can't just tell Lane, like, hey, I want to go look at this boy that I like, and I need to do it alone. Also, if if it were me, (laughs) like, I remember being a teenager and, like, liking someone. You actually do usually want your friend to come with you, because then the two of you like giggle together and then like you can you you come up with like a scheme together i just i don't understand why she tries to get lane to go away instead of i i I think i do i think (laughs) she rory is a perfectionist and she wants to be better with dean but she keeps screwing up with him she sees it as script she's she's awkward she stumbles and she doesn't want to stumble in front of her friend lane and then be made fun of i think that that would be my yes that's what I would be worried about. I don't think Lane would make fun of her, though. Like, well, Lane doesn't know how to deal with boys either. The whole, I know, but the whole situation for, for Rory is just really, I, I, I'm a lot like Rory. I, I, would, I was like her as, as a teenager and very awkward and worried about that awkwardness. And I don't think you quite had that level of awkwardness. So maybe I completely get, get why she didn't want Lane to go with her. Not yet. Maybe at some point in the future, but she wasn't ready. She's just too shy, and she's afraid of stumbling, and she doesn't want to stumble in front of anybody else. And anyway, so she goes and I, talks to Dean. But I, don't that's think what, it's, I don't think it's really about how awkward I was. I think it's just that, like, me and my best friend at that time were very codependent, and, like, okay. definitely <laughs> either of us would have just, like, grabbed on to the other, and, like, we would have just done it together. Like, So you would have told her that there was a boy. Yeah, See, we Rory both... hasn't even hasn't even told Lane that there's a boy. That was but, me. But I Lane tell is anybody. a little bit aware because Lane because Dean asked Lane about Rory. Mm. So Lane is a little bit aware of what's happening. But yeah, like I definitely like my best friend would know and I would know who she had a crush on and we would probably try to find ways to talk to them together and then most likely giggle in a really high pitched way and then run away awkwardly together. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, but this, is, but that's not what who Rory is. She she's very different. But what's what's interesting to me about this? She does go on to talk to him, but I think it, we talked about this a couple of days ago. But there are three or four places in this episode where there are, there's overt sexual dialogue going on, mm. and it's a little unusual. I mean, it, I think maybe I'm misremembering the Gilmore Girls because I haven't seen it in twenty years. But are we talking about Miss Patty, not just her. But I mean, the, sh- the show as a whole doesn't tend to make a lot of sexual innuendos in the dialogue. Mm-hmm. There aren't there aren't a lot of those. There are four in this in the, at least four in this episode. Yeah. So I was, I was kind of surprised at that. There's a lot 
lot of sex in this episode is what I keep. So first, well, there's not was... a lot of literal sex. There's a lot no, of no. alluding sexual, to sex. uh, uh, yeah. sexual length. I mean, the first it was Babette when they when they first see her with what's his name, Maury and Maury. Uh, and 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 the cat. Every time we see Babette, she says something about him, and you know, and it's always has a sexual undertone to it. And I don't remember what she said in the in this particular, but that was number one. And then this the second one is in the the sh- in the uh, the little shop, the little grocery store. Where yeah, Miss Patty um, immediately knows Ms. what Patty. Rory's doing. Yeah, yeah, and she she says the plums, and she she tries she talks to Rory and tries to get her to eat a plum, and she said these plums are better than sex. Yeah, and so that's number two, and then we'll one we'll, as we move further along, I'll point the other ones out. But that I mean, <laughs> yeah, Babette and Miss Patty are both very sensual people, and they they don't hesitate to talk about that uh, a lot. Yeah, for but, sure. So that's not surprising. But the other two that come up later in the episode are, so we'll, but we'll talk about when we get to them. Go ahead. Yeah, this is definitely an episode where all of the women in town are kind of horny, except for Suki, who appears to not get it at all yeah (laughs) but yeah so yeah we we get a little uh interaction with rory and miss patty where rory's being really weird in the aisles and miss patty notices tries to tell her about the plums and then is like well what are you up to and then sees dean and is like oh i see what you're doing and then rory's like no no don't don't tell anyone yeah and miss patty's like don't tell anyone what and she's like don't don't tell anyone that i was not here and like runs away again she does get she does understand young people very well yes yes as as far as i can tell in this one instance miss patty does use her discretion and does not out rory at all um Mm -hmm. but then kirk comes up to her because miss patty has been standing in the grocery store and just like eating stuff um, and Kurt comes up to her and gets really mad and, like, tells her that if she puts another thing in her mouth that does not belong there, that he yes. will call the police. And she's pretty <laughs> offended, and we will c- conclude that little thing later. It'll come up later. But she does but flirt with him. She, she does, She's a yes. little flirtatious with him, but she's flirtatious with everybody. Yeah, she's flirtatious with everybody. But yeah, she is flirtatious with him. And then we get Rory finally trying to check out with the lettuce, but apparently she came into the store... With only with $1, dollar. so she isn't able to also buy the random mousetrap that she grabbed. And Dean tries valiantly to engage her in some flirtatious dialogue, and she just does not know what to do with it and basically runs out of the store. She runs into the store <laughs> to see him, yes. but then can't deal with it. Yep. <laughs> she just is so self-conscious. I don't even know how to describe it. So awkward. So awkward. She can't I do mean, it. She's, it's very teenagery it's very, very teenager yeah <laughs> all right so the next scene is uh lorelei and max uh meeting up at the coffee shop they engage in some more banter it's sort of like a cute off slash chess match where he is trying to convince her that it will be okay for them to mm-hmm. date we and... should date because we want to and she says well i want to be a bangle yes <laughs> and he says and, and and her other is well i'm i'm attracted to pie she loves she yeah. loves pie references. She uses pie references all the time. True, although I don't know if I would call it being attracted to pie, but to each their own. And then Max basically seals the deal uh, with this smooth, like sad story about his uncle who didn't ask out the girl he liked, and then got like enlisted into the army, and then came back, and she had moved away. Uh, and it, it it very much feels like a practiced move to me, mainly because he does this very subtle like arm touch thing in the middle where i was just like oh yeah smooth dude smooth well he is an english teacher 
True. Um, and they are they are pretty smooth. And she she keeps outwitting him a lot. But there's a point at which he, um, the waitress, and this was actually a really good scene. The waitress comes up and asks yeah. him if they need anything. And he's at this point he's a little overwhelmed by mm-hmm. Lorelai. And he looks at the waitress and says, "Got any hamlock back there?" Hamlock and the, the, knows it. Yeah, and the waitress actually gets it and laughs because yeah. she's been listening to this dialogue, I guess, and and yeah. and walks off. And usually, a lot of times with you know people who show up on on screen like that for just a couple of seconds, they don't get that kind of uh, yeah. involvement in the scene. You can see when she laughs that she's been listening to them and yeah. laughs and get gets the joke. But yeah, and so and he kind of he kind of wins her over with the story. She does finally agree which, to which we're not convinced is a real is true because yes. she asked him she asked him is that a true story he doesn't answer. he doesn't answer no uh my main other comment on this scene is just that this is a classic empty coffee cup scene oh yeah it's Don't very clear that all of these coffee cups are empty always and in the th- here's that's a great thing to bring up when you're talking about a tv show okay so in this case they have paper cups now usually mm-hmm. what you, you in in the gilmore girls they have mugs television shows are notorious they give them empty coffee cups and the thing is mm-hmm. when they're when you're drinking out of a, co- a cup that actually has fluid in it it's got heft to it and mm-hmm. you know you, you hold it differently but when you have an empty coffee cup in your hand you're gonna you know you're gonna bring it up to your face faster you're gonna yep. i mean it's just it's obvious that actors it's been 20 years since again more girls and TV shows are still doing this. Why have yeah. they not figured out? Even if you're not going to give your actor coffee, put some damn water in that cup. Water put, in it, yeah. Give it some heft, you know? Put some milk water in it. Water with some food coloring. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I understand why they can't give them coffee because if you have to do 20 takes of that, you're going to end up drinking right. a ton right. of caffeine, and that's just right. not a fair thing to put. Same with your alcohol. Body they can't through. give them alcohol yeah. in, in scenes either. But um, and, and that makes a lot of sense. And actually, I, I don't know if we've talked about this or not, but food. Maybe you were talking about it one of the episodes, or maybe, maybe. not. But where they they have to chew and spit food out all the time. Oh, or maybe yeah. I read this somewhere else. But a lot of time with in scenes because they have to do it five or six times, maybe more. They're chewing food and then spitting it out because otherwise they would be so full. As, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, it it is definitely like it. It's it's a very. Uh, tricky thing when they're doing a food scene I know there's something about there's like this scene in Firefly where Nathan Fillion bites into this big tomato and they just had to like do it so many times and it's like a very obvious bite there's also you can find on YouTube I believe a super cut of every time that Brad Pitt is eating in a movie apparently this is like a thing he loves to eat he loves to eat yes but he spits it all out and they've actually interviewed him about it he said yeah i eat but you know i chew it for a little bit and then i spit it out and yeah he's famous for it and but he said if i if i if i swallowed everything i eat he said i'd be huge you know plus i'd be full and i couldn't do the scene anyway yeah so that's the thing but but getting back to coffee (laughs) it's like do you really think that we are not seeing this everybody everybody has had a coffee cup even if you don't drink coffee you've Mm -hmm. had hot chocolate or you've had tea or something in a coffee cup and you know what it looks like when you're carrying it you have to hold it a certain way first of all so it doesn't spill all over you Mm because there's a hole and they never do that and 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 they'll they'll gesticulate with their hands when they have coffee coffee. Mm -hmm. you can't you can't move your arms like that when you have a full coffee cup in your hand, and and this is another scene like that, and we just spent five minutes on this, but it's a, it is a, it's a talking about point for me, yeah, it's it's a pet peeve of mine in TV shows, so I'm glad you brought it up. 
All right. So <laughs> now we get to the Lorelai and Suki scene uh, where we kind of talk a little bit more about why Lorelai isn't sure about dating Max. And uh, she makes a really good point. They, they both make some good points. But Lorelai's good point is that she, in general, is a little bit wary of not necessarily dating itself, but of allowing Rory to be aware of her dating because she doesn't want Rory to get attached to someone just for Lorelai to dump him for, you know, potentially relatively shallow reasons or just for any reason. Uh, And I think that's a good impulse to have. And it's probably something that she had to figure out pretty early on. Yeah, because she has been single for most of Rory's life. And she was, you know, she was 16 when she had her. So I think the fact that Rory is as stable as she is probably shows us that like Lorelai has been very protective and private about her personal life, because otherwise, that would be a huge source of instability for Rory growing up having people coming in and out. And the fact that Max is Rory's teacher means that to a certain extent, she couldn't keep keep that entirely from Rory. He's already in Rory's life. Although Suki also sort of implies a good point, which is she asks if Lorelai has told Rory about this yet, and Lorelai says no, and Suki says whoops, implying that it's a mistake not to tell Rory, and I agree. I I do think that Lorelai probably should have told Rory that he asked her out pretty much as soon as it happened, to be honest. Yeah, not only should she have told her, she should have asked her if it was okay. And ordinarily, I would say, by the time you have a child who is a teenager... And, and and I went through the same thing. I didn't date for a very long time. It wasn't even a choice, really. I mean, when you are a single parent, and she's only got one child, but I had two, and it is, yeah. it's time-consuming. And sometimes yeah. I worked a second job. So there weren't really a lot of opportunities to date. So she, so I could see, but, but once you, once they get to be a teenager, you might consider dating again. So she, yeah. So she's kind of confronting this for the first time, but she's also... Dealing with a teenager who is aware and smart and is not going to be easily fooled. So yeah. the first thing she should have done was was talk to her about it and say, are you okay with this? And if not, should I stop? And if you don't want me to not, if you don't want me to date him or, or if it's okay if I date him, how do we make this work? That, that seems so obvious to me, but... Things that are obvious to you and me and Suki are not always obvious to Lorelai. And also, it's a TV show, and they they need to yes. have some conflict. They gotta have they, they gotta always. have conflict. But in this um, scene too, I, I love this scene. Do you want to talk about it or? or- yeah, I was just going to say, like, the other thing that's happening in this scene is that Luke walks away. They're at, they're at Luke's diner. He walks away from the counter, and Suki, like, almost immediately jumps behind the counter. It would be one thing if she actually did just jump behind there and grab the, like, paprika that she wanted for herself. But no, instead, the onions. She, like, she, look, she went for oh, the onions. onions. Well, she, yeah. she tells him that she was looking for paprika. So maybe yeah. she was already looking for multiple things. But she immediately, like, gives this dude his sandwich, and she added lemon and pepper to it. To, yes. She does. Him, you're gonna plot and he does not look amused this random other customer like that look happy he wanted that that's not what he ordered but yeah so she's like doing all of this stuff immediately behind the counter and we're kind of setting up i guess a kind of rivalry between suki and luke which to be honest i don't remember if they keep going with this no i don't, I don't think they do but i yeah. think it's a visual it's a visual setup too because any I think there's a there's a trope, I guess. If somebody's standing behind a counter 
and somebody sitting at a counter, so like in a bar or at a diner. Uh, the person mm -hmm. standing behind the counter is positioned to be the person of wisdom handing out yeah. uh, advice. And the yeah. person sitting at, at, the, at the counter or the bar is the one seeking advice, seeking, you know, help, assistance, support. And in this situation, and, and often it's Luke and, and Lorelai yeah. at this particular counter. And Luke does give her good advice that she doesn't always take. But in this situation, it's Suki who realizes where she's at at some point and kind of stands still. Suki yeah. very rarely stands still. So she stops and actually starts listening to what Lorelai's saying. And this is the, the third sexual reference. Yes. And I don't remember how what the what the statement is, but she's she basically says, saying, go uh, ahead. So she, she doesn't say the word, but she says, also, it would be nice to get Right, to get and sex. The, and, and Suki's like, to get what? To get and what? she says, you know. And she says, no, I don't know. She says, you know. He knows. And she points he to knows. the guy next to him who, who Suki had given the, the hamburger the, to and put stuff on. Yeah. And, he, and he's, he's got this actor is great. Because he, when, he, when she gave him the hamburger, he, he just kind of looked at her sandwich. with this. Was it a turkey sandwich? It's a turkey sandwich. She added the lemon and uh, pepper to the turkey sandwich. But it doesn't Oh, matter. I don't remember. Anyway. <laughs> But anyway, the guy sitting next to her is just has this long, somber face. Yes. He never breaks a smile in the in the two times that we, and the camera gets a does a close up of him. So and this is the second close up where you see him and, and she says Suki keeps insisting that she doesn't know what Lorelai's saying and I don't know yes. if it's because she wants her to say the word sex or no, because I, she really I, doesn't know. Doesn't I think get she it. really doesn't know. Oh, okay, I, I, okay. I think there's there's a couple of times where we play up Suki as being a little naive and this okay. is one of those times. Okay. Well so she keeps saying, you know, no, I don't. She says, you know. And then she points to the guy next to him. And she says, he knows. And, and the camera looks at him. He says, yeah, I know. Because <laughs> yeah. so, she's been listening to this. Again, this is the second time in the episode, let's point this out, that somebody off camera has been listening to the dialogue between two people yes. and makes, makes a commentary on it. And you didn't even see yeah. them until that point, but you realize that they've been listening. So, yeah. Which it just Which, occurs to me, maybe that is kind of an intentional stylistic choice because this is a town episode and it's kind of about the whole community to a certain yes. degree. And Lorelai often has conversations with people that you wonder sometimes, is there nobody else around listening to this? Because yeah. they're getting kind of loud. So, so, so private and these, conversations. Yeah, these private conversations, other people are overhearing them. And I think that was their yeah. way of telling us that. So... Uh, Luke comes out and like immediately like screams at Suki and rushes her out of the kitchen mm -hmm. and tells Lorelai that if if she brings Suki in there again she better have her on a leash. Yes. Which and you know something else uh, Suki does in addition to the hamburger stuff and then the open faced turkey sandwich she before she does those two things she takes a couple of plates of food and garnishes them. That's, yep. That was that was the first thing she did. And I wrote that down because I thought, just like a chef as opposed mm -hmm. to a guy running a diner, to put garnishes on plates, plates yeah. that people are already eating off of. Yes. So she, she adds garnishes. <laughs> yeah. it's, it is, you know, I, I will say, like, I kind of wish that Luke hadn't yelled at her so much, but I guess we mm -hmm. are supposed to assume that this has maybe happened multiple times, so maybe I'm he guessing. Yes. overreacted. Yes. It just it just seems like a little bit of an overreaction from him, but he is a grumpy guy. And it's but his I, restaurant. 
it's it is his, his restaurant. restaurant. I mean, I'm not saying and that he, Suki should have done it. I just think that he could have maybe handled it a little more gracefully. Um, he could have, yes. But I, I do like this, like, and again, I, I I don't think that they keep going with this because I don't really remember this um, later on, but I do think it's a really interesting contrast that Luke and Suki do a very similar job, but they do it in very different ways. Suki well. is very much like a high-end, like, complex chef and Luke is kind of the quote unquote like working class version of that although ironically Luke owns his own establishment and Suki works for someone else so yeah. the the class dynamics at play are kind of interesting because she's doing the like quote unquote high end version but there's every chance that he makes more money than she does because he owns the business and she mm-hmm. does not yeah. own the business that she works at. I think also this scene shows us that Suki really does not understand or get food boundaries. And yes. the counter the counter space at Luke's diner is a, is a sacred space to him. You don't get mm-hmm. behind the counter. And and actually I think that's true of diners. You you do not get behind the counter and most diners don't have an open you know, the only way you can get yeah. behind the counter is through the kitchen. So in this instance, there just happens to be an opening at the end because they need it because Lorelai sometimes it goes behind the counter in, in later episodes just to get coffee or to help yeah. or whatever. But it but the counter is a dividing line. And Suki has gone beyond that and, you know, yes. walked into his sacred space because she doesn't get food boundaries. And then, you know, with the, and it's not just the, the counter, but the people putting the, the garnishes on, you know, and adding salt to <laughs> somebody she she just doesn't you know she she doesn't get food boundaries like other people don't get other kinds of boundaries she's that's her thing i think she's she's also like very used to just being automatically treated as the expert when it comes to food because she is in her kitchen you know she is brilliant with food this is like an established fact about her character so yeah it just doesn't occur to her that like there is a time and a place and it's not this one one final comment on this scene because i think it is an exception both suki and lorelei actually take bites of their burgers and Ah. we we do not always see them eat the food that they are served and in fact we did see them eating at um grandmother's house and i'm trying to think i think they both took a bite there too it's unusual you know we've we've talked about a lot about their the obsession with food in in this Mm -hmm. series as a whole and yet often we do not actually see them eat the food that they are served but they did in this scene all right so then uh rory enters the scene with kind of the the real crux of the episode which is uh she tells them that there's a uh there's been there's an emergency basically about cinnamon she doesn't actually tell them that she's died but she's like mom you've got to come it's cinnamon and then they show up at babette and maury's house and cinnamon has in fact died and then maury gets what is maybe my favorite line of the episode like rory walks past him and he looks up at her and he goes this is life rory it breaks your heart i have that one written down too it's a great line and it's absolutely true life does break your heart and i think it's also like up until that moment for me at least it feels like Babette is way more the like active person of the two and has so far shown us way more involvement in cinnamon but it's just this really like subtle sweet moment where you see that like Maury very much was as attached to this cat as Babette was and he's devastated by her loss yeah Um, Maury Maury is an interesting character we don't really see him a lot in the series 
Um, but he's a very interesting background character. We, we, we know him, I guess, mostly through what Babette says about him and how yeah. he, you know, the, the effect his music has on her and, and how he makes her feel. But in this episode, and this may be the only one, we really get a, a feel that for this guy, he's a real, he's an artistic, poetic soul. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, she's, found a, she's found the right person for her, even if he is and- two feet taller than her. And the story, <laughs> yeah. uh, and the story of the cat is like classically both very sad and kind of comical. Babette didn't realize the cat had died, so oh, when yeah. she had stopped moving, and she ended up accidentally knocking her onto the floor. And I guess they had just waxed the floors or something. So, so the cat slid like, across the floor, shot across the room, <laughs> and Babette says, "When she knocked over the lamp and still didn't move, I knew it was over." <laughs> Which is both very sad and kind of funny. Maury feels bad because he's afraid that eating the clams might have been what killed the cat, and he's the one who let her eat. But the vet claims that it was not that in human years this cat was 260 years old, which I yeah. did some quick math, and 260, uh, if we're going by one cat year equals seven human years, then that would mean that this cat was 37 years old. Yeah, I don't think. <laughs> which uh, I, I believe the the oldest recorded cat was 30 years old. Wow, so either, really? Yeah. I, I mean, that's definitely at the long end. It's much more average to be like 16 to 20. I think 20 is yeah. like roughly um, yeah. more more normal. But yes, the, the longest lived cat, I believe, was 30. Um, so 260, either this cat... Either that is incorrect or this cat was a mythical beast with an <laughs> incredible long life. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But but basically she died of old age. And then it's time for the wake. And then we get Michelle uh, showing up and he is appalled to discover that this is a wake for a cat. This actually does bring up one question that I have, which is, does Michelle live in the town? <laughs> he must, That's right? a good, good question. We don't know where Michelle lives. We don't I mean, know. If, does he live in the inn? That seems unlikely just because you would think they would mention that if, like, Michelle lived yeah. in the inn. And it, it, like, Suki and Lorelai both very much live in the town and, like, are a part of the town's, like, community. Michelle is not, which doesn't not make sense because he is such an ornery guy that it, like, yeah. you know, so it would make a certain amount of sense if he just, like, wasn't, if he did live there but he just wasn't involved. Or maybe he lives, like, in the middle of nowhere. But th- this is one of the times when I wonder, in episodes like this, you do get a real sense for who's in the town. Suki and Lorelai are definitely a part of the town community. Yeah. So why wouldn't Michelle be? I don't know. Yeah, uh, but... it's hard to say. And he, he certainly doesn't... The, the town sensibility is one he doesn't share either. Yeah. You know, of, of supporting one another, even if it's just a cat that's died. It's mm-hmm. a very precious and important cat. And this community takes those kinds of relationships seriously. And that's part of what this episode is about, is this the community coming together yeah. uh, during this time. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he's he's appalled to discover that it's awake for the cat. Uh, he says, they lick their privates, these cats. Yeah, it's disgusting. Oh, when yes. he says it like that, it's like, yeah, cats can be disgusting. <laughs> but that's I mean, all the, animals are... He, but what he's missing, the point that he's missing is that... The cat was important to Babette and Maury. He, you know, yes. it's like a child to them. So this is a huge loss. 
And according to Lorelai, she was Cinnamon is the cat's name. Um, she was important to the whole town. She was like a little bit of a celebrity, which I totally get because yeah. people love animals. And like we we have a neighborhood cat over here who like everyone is kind of aware of because he just wanders through people's yards and he's very friendly uh, and he'll just come up and ask for pets. And, you know, among my friend group as well, we're all like obsessed with each other's pets. <laughs> Cinnamon was taken on rides through the town yes. in the little carrots thing. So everybody, everybody knew Cinnamon. And I also uh, get the feeling that it's kind of just any excuse to get together too. So you yeah. know, people bring food, and uh, and both Luke and and actually that's the next scene. Luke and Suki yes. both bring Luke food, and, and the the difference in them could be could not be more pronounced in this scene. And they first they they're competitive to try and get in the door first. She beats yeah. him in, but but then there's the real restaurant versus the diner. Lorelai asks asks Suki, "How are we doing this?" So she rambles on for about 10, 15 seconds on, "Well, we're going to put this here and that here and then here." and then the cutlery and there's the order of how you lay mm-hmm. the food out and uh luke walks in and just throws it down and tells everybody to dig in yep. so <laughs> there's a very big big difference for them and I, I don't know if we i'm probably getting ahead here but there's there's another visual gag going on in this whole scene in their house and that is that all the doors are so freaking short and i oh, mean yes. short because you know it, Everybody in the town except Babette is tall. Maury yeah. is at least at least two feet taller than her. And it makes me wonder if they actually add to that. Because I don't think Sally Struthers is... And we should point out here that Babette is played by the famous and wonderful Sally Struthers. Sally Struthers, and, who is doing an incredible performance oh, yeah. in this episode. Oh, she's, she really shines in this, in this episode. Yeah. Um, she's short. I don't remember her being that short when she, when she was in All in the Family. But, but she is short. But and Maury's tall, but I don't think he's two feet taller than her. I think they've done some adjustment, you know, with something to make it seem like he's much yeah. taller than her. But they everybody might. else, everybody in the town except except Babette has to has to scrunch down to get through yes. the doors. And, and she makes even, a comment about how Maury got like a couple of concussions when he first, first moved yes, in. Yes, when he first moved in, and uh, you see that in a scene in particular at the kitchen sink yes. with with uh, Lorelai, where she has to sit down on a stool to rinse some, to rinse some dishes, and that's the the next. Oh, am I getting well, ahead here? Yeah, you're getting okay. ahead a little bit. Go ahead. But yeah, I, I do feel like the implication is that they might have Babette maybe had this house custom made for her or something. I'm guessing she had. But yeah, so uh, yeah, we get the Luke and Suki bit and then um, Dean shows up and tries to talk to Rory, but Rory again kind of awkwardly avoids him, but then... Or she doesn't avoid him, but she kind of like, I don't remember exactly what happens, but it, it doesn't go well and he decides to leave. But as he's leaving, she kind of follows him out onto the porch. She doesn't say anything, so he keeps going. But you can kind of see on her face that she's regretting. She wants to. Yeah, yeah, not figuring out how to talk to him. And then she sees Mr. Medina over at their house. Um, and apparently Lorelai has still not told her that they were going to go on a date. So Lorelai comes out and finds Rory seeing Mr. Medina. And Rory's like, why is Mr. Medina there? Am I in trouble? And 
Lorelai very reluctantly tells her, no, you're not in trouble. Max is here to pick me up. But then she has to go over and talk to him before they can really like talk that out. So she goes over to talk to Max and tells him that she has to reschedule because her neighbor's cat died and they're having a wake. And he kind of understandably thinks this is just her way of blowing him off. Yep. Uh, So his response is basically, hey, if I'm pushing you into something you don't want to do, then let's just not. I don't want to make you go out with me if that's not Which doesn't make any sense because he was so intent on (laughs) talking her into this that at the first... A first instance of, of something that, I mean, who would, who would make up a story like that? Why does he suddenly think she's making up a story? And I think, I think it makes sense to a certain degree, and I actually kind of appreciate it. I actually think there's sort of a parallel between him and Dean in this episode, because they're yeah. both kind of pursuing two women who are who appear to be resisting in some way in Lorelai's case she's actually resisting in Rory's case she's not resisting she just doesn't know how to speak out loud when Dean is around yeah and the the other thing about both Max and Dean is that they they exist outside of the town culture somewhat so Mm -hmm. Max Max completely because he you know he lives somewhere else and Dean because he's new to town and so they probably both don't really understand why are we having a funeral for a cat and why is everybody in the community here uh dean doesn't understand that and max doesn't believe it i mean i I don't know how much dean uh, dean does show up to the wake he does Um, he does he delivers he's delivering something he is definitely a little bit of an outsider still um Mm -hmm. for sure i do think that it's worth noting that at this time I feel like if this were happening today, there would be much less confusion about it because a lot of millennials really do put a lot of emphasis on our pets and spend a lot of money on them and, you know, treat them like they're important. I do feel like during this time period, that really was not as true. So I think at this time period, it was especially odd to have uh, a wake for the town. But like we've said, sorry, a wake for the cat. (laughs) But like we've said... While it is about the cat, it's also just about community. And it is, and I think they build up to it. I think that when I saw this episode originally, it did not seem outlandish to me because yeah. they have built up to this point with the closeness of the community and, and everybody who takes care of each other, but also the cat in the episode has has shown up several times with them walking it through the through the town. Everybody knew it. You know, everybody knows yeah. Babette. She, you know, do we know what Babette does for a living, by the way? I don't I, think we do. I don't think we do. Or Maury. Yeah. But anyway, um, so I think we've built up enough to the quirkiness, even if even though it's just episode five, the quirkiness yeah. of the town and the characters that it didn't seem that out of the question or out of out of the ordinary for this particular context for me. But you yeah. can see where it would for Max. I think also, again, the, the characters' performances really ground it, which we should get to in a second. But just yes. like before we zoom past it, we get Kirk's name said out loud, I believe for the first time, Miss Patty calls him Kirk the Jerk. Uh, and he actually, uh, he comes up to her during the party to explain that the owner of the store told him that he was wrong to castigate her earlier and that he should never do it again because she's a great customer and so she's allowed to eat whatever she wants. And he's like trying to apologize. And Miss Patty uh, delivers an excellent line read. Stop sweating and close your pores, Kirky. I always forgive. Once. 
Yeah. <laughs> just so, and, underlined. Yes. Well, and Kirk actually, that's probably the first time we see him as a vulnerable, real kind of person, too. Because up yeah. to this point, the actor we have seen in almost every episode doing some other kind of character, or maybe it was always Kirk, but doing something weird every time and always very, not in a likable way. He's yeah. never been likable. In this moment, he's actually, for the first time, kind of likable. So we have a yeah. little bit of foreshadowing that he's going to become a more likable character as we go on. But before we leave this scene, we have to talk about number four <laughs> at the kitchen sink. Babette and oh, that, Lorelai. That's, that's, that's next. That's Is next. it next? Okay. So can I go okay. ahead? Oh, good. Hold on. Uh, just one quick thought that I had, which is I wonder if when they originally came up with the show, if they were never going to have the owner of the store show up, because it feels like this scene, it feels like we've written around the owner actually being there. And like, you know, minor spoiler, the owner is Taylor Dozy, who later becomes a pretty big character in the Is who? Who is it? Taylor Dozy. That's, oh. that's the guy who owns the store. He is the owner of the grocery store. But he has not shown up yet, and it feels like this exchange between them, the the owner is like a non-character who's never, maybe never going to show up himself, uh, even though at this point multiple other characters work for him, at least in some degree. Dean and Kirk both work at the store. Um, So I'm Mm. I'm just wondering if maybe originally Taylor Dozy was not going to be a character and that changed later on. I I mean, we can't really talk about it that much because he hasn't shown up yet, but... He will well, just show like up Kirk. And, it's, yeah. it's some of these characters, I think, kind of evolve. They see how well they fit into the, the storylines and, yeah. and, and give them more, more time. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I wonder if maybe Taylor shows up later to fill a specific role or something. We'll see. But anyway, now we have the scene at the sink. So go ahead. So Babette and Lorelai are talking about the situation with the teacher and Rory. And they talk about quite a few things. But Babette reminds her that someday Rory will be gone. So yes. Lorelai needs to have a life. And yes. it's and you know, and in that moment I think Lorelai realizes that everything and, and we're only at episode five, mind you, we've got six and a half more seasons. But this is a, the beginning, she realizes the beginning of her not estrangement really, but of her relationship with Rory changing because Rory's yeah. growing up and Lorelai needs to build a life for herself. So a light bulb kinda goes off. She thanks Babette and Babette says, Well, let me know when it gets to the point where and I don't remember how she says it, but basically <laughs> I, she's saying, when you have sex with him, let me know. And I think, and, and the, the line that, that that she comes back with, I'll call you during the cigarette. Yes. And I'm like, (laughs) at that point, I had to pause the the episode and laugh hysterically (laughs) because, first of all, there's just been so many sexual innuendos in this episode that really, and and the Gilmore Girls is not known for this. It's not something that happens throughout the show, but in this episode, it's happened over and over again, and it's a great line. And and it only is an, a line that would probably not work with anybody other than Babette. So, yeah. um, but it's a great scene. Anyway, go ahead. I think she says something like she saw that man who was over on his porch, asks who he is, and Lorelai kind of explains. And I think she just straight up asks her, "But how is he in the sack?" Yeah, and that's like, well, I don't, I don't know. I yet. don't know yet. <laughs> They also have this exchange that I kind of wanted to bring up and sort of 
discuss because it's it's just so telling of how women are taught to view themselves um, she says she, she's talking about Maury because one of the things that's happening in this scene is that Babette is afraid that losing cinnamon is going to ruin her relationship with Maury right uh, and she says before Maury I never thought that a man would ever want me and Lorelai says oh I know how that feels <laughs> and Babette's uh, response is oh please with that ass give me a break <laughs> But Lorelai explains, well, I mean, want all of me, not just my ass. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which is a, it's a very, like, touching scene between the two of them. But I also feel like there's just a little touch of, like, you're both gorgeous and wonderful. Neither of you should ever have to worry that no one's going to want you. You both And yet have women do. Women yes. do. They worry, but exactly. they have to be perfect. It's kind of like jobs when people when women and men apply for jobs women mm-hmm. are always worried they don't apply for jobs a lot of times if they don't meet 100 percent of the criteria and men mm-hmm. will apply for jobs they meet 10 percent of the criteria women exactly. always think that they're not good enough that you know no matter i'm not i'm not perfect in 100 percent of the ways that i should be perfect so of course men aren't going to be interested in me and lorelei yeah. uh has a lot of baggage i mean you know she's and she has struggled with relationships and she doesn't have a good one with her parents. I mean, and you know that having a good relationship with your parents can actually inform whether or not you have a good relationship in a marriage. Now she's never been married, but she has had, had relationships. So she doesn't, she knows she's a handful and doesn't matter that she's beautiful or cute or sexy. She, she knows that that's just what she looks like. It's not who she is. And will they like who I am? And will they be okay with the fact that I have a teenage daughter? Yep. Despite being relatively young. Young. And that I had a teenage daughter at 16, which is not something a lot of women who are, you know, middle class and educated do or talk about having done. Oh, also this, um, this little exchange started off with Babette pulling medications for the cat to throw away oh that's so a great scene too this this is a good moment to bring up my psa which is you should actually be very careful when you are getting rid of medications and maybe look up and see if your local government has a place for you to drop off expired or not expired medications because it's not actually yeah. a great idea to toss them in a landfill anyway no, it's not <laughs> although most of them if you don't if you don't toss them the pills into the bag if you keep them in the bag they might be i mean in the in the pill case but yeah, a lot of police departments will mm-hmm. have 24-7. You can go in and drop in, no questions asked, drop yes. in your, your pills. And, and... In, in Seattle, there is an Indian cultural center that accepts expired mm-hmm. medications. Um, because even though it's hours. expired and, and shouldn't be used, it can go into the landfill, which means it can go into the water, groundwater. Yes. So, exactly. which, is, which is not a good thing. That's our public service announcement for today. <laughs> yes. That's our public service announcement for the day. Um, and then also, Sally Struthers, the line that made me cry the most in this episode was when she said, she was so tiny when I got her, she could sleep in my shoe. Oh, that was adorable. That oh was my so gosh. Cute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then the scene <sighs> ends with Maury playing Cinnamon's song. And so that was beautiful, uh, too. Yeah. Yeah. Lorelai and uh, Babette re- return to the living room where everyone is kind of gathered around Maury's piano as he plays Cinnamon's song. Uh, and then we get Rory and Dean in the garden. I think Rory is like hanging out outside, possibly contemplating her own awkwardness. And then Dean shows up and tells her that he's going to back off because it's clear to him from her behavior that. 
that she's not interested. Which is <laughs> which very admirable of him. Yes. I mean, he, he's misinterpreting how awkward she is, but or that, that she's being awkward, but it is very admirable that he is backing off. So It is good, although I will say I did not really love the way that he followed her onto the bus earlier. Yeah, Maybe it was kind of, it was stalker-like. It was. It That's was a, a good point. It was a little creepy, and just like as a woman who has been alone on a bus before, like that mm-hmm. is definitely a danger area where mm-hmm. sometimes you will look up and some creepy dude will just be staring at you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of wish he had gone about that a little bit differently, but I do appreciate that he is telling her that he's going to back off. Like, yes, thank you for listening to cues. However, he has misinterpreted her and she jumps up and says, no, wait, I am interested uh, I, I am interested. And he says, you are? And she says, yes, I gotta go. <laughs> and then yeah. takes off she again. She says it and then she leaves. Yeah. Uh, and then we get um, the the kind of Lorelai and Rory emotional scene of the episode. I don't know. We should have a, a, a term for this. The, the, the moment in the episode when Lorelai and Rory come back together and actually get to hash out the thing that is happening for the two of them, which is that Lorelai is considering or is going to tr- at least try to date Mr. Medina. And uh, <laughs> Lorelai approaches it by saying, that man on the porch was your teacher. And Rory says, mom, I'm a little behind in school, but not so behind that I don't know who the teacher is. Here's the thing about that. And, and, and this is what bothers me about her wanting to date or considering dating Rory's teacher. Won't it be weird? Won't it be hard for Rory when she's sitting in class, in his class, listening to him lecture, thinking about her mom dating him, or even her mom having sex with him? So, you know, that's, I think it's not fair to Rory. I really think that Lorelai should at least say, you know, let's, I want to date you, but we're going to have to wait a year until Rory is no longer in your class. And, you know, there's the whole sexual harassment thing, too, that it, in in a way is, is an issue here because if Lorelai were to date Medina and they broke up, would he take it out on Rory and her grades? That's there's, a good there's, question. There's just so many issues here, so many ethical issues for me that I think in the year 2000 should have been on the, the plate of the writers. It should have been on the horizon. But it wasn't, and they're not even—they yeah. don't even get into the details. And and I and I realize there's a lot going on in this episode, but that's an important—that's an—that should be an important part of their discussion. Is how yeah. are they going to deal with this? You know? Yeah, he he kind of brushes past it. I mean, you can tell that Lorelai is concerned about it, but Max doesn't seem to be very concerned about it. And it is kind of now that I am an adult who is, oh God, older than Lorelai is in this scene. Uh, I am just kind of like, would it have been that hard? Like, you don't even have to wait a whole calendar year. You have to wait a school year. It's a couple of months. Would it have been that hard? But here's a question. What did you think when you saw this episode in 2000 when you were a teenager? Gosh, I don't don't know that I really remember. I do remember that I always liked Max as a character, but I don't know that I really... uh, I'm not sure that I really internalized what was happening in this episode. Yeah, I don't Um, think I liked it even when I saw it originally, because at this point I was the mother of a 12 year old and who was, who was dealing with young, attractive male teachers too young for me, but still the situation was just not comfortable for me. And I remember, and and I liked the actor, I liked the character, but Mm -hmm. I just 
Lorelai's involvement with it with her child's teacher rubbed me the wrong way even then so yeah I think I mean like taken in the abstract did I wonder what it would be like if you were dating one of my teachers I do think I I would have thought that it would be weird like yeah thank you I did not yeah, yeah, I would not have wanted you. I like. I think I would have probably made a joke about like, can you get me a good grade in this class? But ultimately, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have wanted you to do it. No. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a just a really good point, and I don't think they really address it here. It is, after all, kind of a comedy. So anyway, <laughs> next scene. So, what? Uh, uh, so should yeah, we go to the Emily scene, or? Well, there's just a really cute little thing um, that kind of wraps up Babette and Maury for the episode, where Maury asks Babette to stay outside with him a little while so that they can look up at the Big Dipper. It's yeah. It's very sweet. Very cute little romantic but you scene. Know, Babette and Maury for the best couple of this show. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. when His name. Maury, Rory, and Lorelai. Yes. Are they doing that deliberately, do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, but I also noticed it with Luke and Suki. Also very Yeah. So <laughs> you see these writers sitting around a table saying, let's come up with some names that will really make it hard for people to say them, say them in the same sentence. 20 years uh, from now when people are trying to do a podcast, we'll just yes! really mess them up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, but oh, yeah, so gosh. the next scene is Emily calling. And yeah, so Emily calls. Uh, she claims that she has called a bunch of times during the day, but uh, in the past couple of hours and couldn't get a hold of them. Um, But Lorelai says that they don't have any messages. And Emily responds, I don't leave messages. If I wanted to talk to a machine, I'd talk to my VCR. Uh, So last week we had to explain uh, answering machines. Uh, VCRs. I think everybody knows what a VCR is. But yeah. VCRs just seem so old now. Like a DVD player seems slightly antiquated. Yeah, you can still buy DVD players. I don't know that you can. But libraries have them. Yeah. In in the age of the internet, you can buy anything. But like, yeah, I think, I mean, at this point, a VCR is probably like, more expensive to get than anything else because it's basically oh, a collector's Oh, DVD item. players are too. So we got our first DVD player, uh, a high-definition DVD player in the mid-'80s. It was a $700 machine. That machine went down in price, probably to around 200 and I recently found that same machine on sale on Amazon for $700. Oh, my God. Because, they've, they, <laughs> yeah, they've gone back up because now they're, like, vintage. I don't know. They're I. It, it's crazy, but, yeah. Wild. But VCRs, I, I think, you you know, public service announcement number two, most libraries have VCRs in, in, if you have something you want to transfer. Good to know. But, yeah. Oh, and, okay, so during this scene, so Emily's uh, wants to know why she wasn't able to get a hold of her, and Rory can, like, tell that that's where the conversation is going and tries to signal to Lorelai not to tell Emily where they've been and Lorelai (laughs) totally misses it and tells Emily that they were at a wake for a cat which of course pisses Emily off because she wouldn't go to the funeral for her cousin but she'll go to this wake for this cat Uh, which of course we as the audience totally get because first of all Lorelai knew this cat saw this cat every day and also she's clearly very close with their neighbors and like we've already said this was a community event Emily wanted to pull Lorelai out of her own world and force her back into the world exactly. that she left. Exactly. Yeah. She wanted to bring her back into her orbit, into her rich, Claudia's probably mm-hmm. rich, her rich mm-hmm. family thing. And that they, what, what Emily still doesn't get, I don't know that she ever gets it, is that Lorelai's community 
what's the name of the town? Ta- uh, something Hollow. Stars, Stars Hollow. Stars Hollow. Her community, her town is her family. It's her real family. And it's her chosen family, I should say. But before we get to that point, she actually says she has a great joke here because, you know, Emily gets them too. What next? Are you going to go to a raccoon's wedding? Because she really doesn't get that. It's not that it was a funeral for the... It's not who the funeral was for. It's who the funeral affected. It's who the loss, the death affected. And with Claudia... Not only does Lorelai not know Claudia, she doesn't know any of the people other than her mother who would be affected by Claudia's death. And she can tell mm-hmm. that her mother isn't really affected by Claudia's death. So, But yeah. here's, my, here's my, my question about this, because it never gets resolved. Why does Emily call? They go through this whole exchange, and then they hang up, and whatever it was that, <laughs> whatever reason she had for calling, never gets stated. She never And says. I don't know, did they cut it off? They were running out of time or what? But why did she call? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe she just wanted to share some gossip after the funeral or something. Yeah, that could be. But you're right. Yeah, they, they don't say. And that's, that's kind of the end of the episode. We get one final comment on the teacher dating where Rory makes a joke about Lorelai keeping him out late so that he'll sleep through her oral exam next week. Which um, brings me to another timeline continuity problem. So it must be Thursday because they had made their date for Thursday. And it no no and it's and she gets accused of missing Claudia's funeral for the Catholic and, and we knew that the funeral for the for Claudia was gonna be Thursday and we knew that the date was gonna be Thursday. Okay. So can you keep him out late on Thursday is what Rory says. So is she talking yeah. about the next week? Or I, have we missed assume, a couple of days here? I no, I, I assume it must be the next week. I assume but she did, means like next Thursday. Did you have assignments a week and a day out like that? Or is this something that maybe happens every every Friday? I I don't know. But to me it was a it well, was a timeline question. They are lax and loose with days on this show. Yeah, for sure. I will also say that apart from memory work, which we covered last week, I did not have oral exams. Yeah. Like we had memory works where we literally just had to stand up and recite a poem. But apart from that, we did not have oral exams, except in like Italian, like in, in a foreign language yeah, class. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that makes sense. A, a more loose so, oral exam. So maybe it would be a big enough deal that they would have, they would know a week in advance because an oral exam is pretty big. Yeah, it could be. Also, I do think some private schools will literally have certain tests planned out like weeks to months in advance. Yeah, I mean, well, even we syllabus, knew, yeah. Yeah, we always knew when the big exams were coming up. So okay, so maybe they oh. maybe they they did this more carefully than I thought. I did have some teachers who gave a very specific syllabus at the beginning of the semester, and we knew exactly when each test was going to be. So yeah, okay, so like maybe that. she did know. And the other thing is that Sam Phillips did the music for this whole episode. I don't know if you noticed in the credits they said music by Sam Phillips, and usually you would get a few songs in an episode, but in this in this episode there has been a recurring sound throughout the show and I had kind of clicked on it but didn't really realize who the who the artist was because I don't know Sam Phillips music but but it was apparently it, and that's a she I guess Sam is a she is that right you know I don't Sam know Phillips no. well I think she was a big person in the 2000s anyway I thought you would know who Sam Phillips was anyway so Sam Phillips done the music for this for this episode yeah look him or her up and there were two or three, maybe four, different songs that played in different parts of the episode. I'm trying to remember if they came up when the cat was being talked about or when we were we were in a scene with Babette or, you know, they 
because they definitely had a feel. The music had a feel to it that it was kind of sorrowful, but you know, beautiful kind of thing. Uh, uh, hold on, Sam Phillips singer. Okay, wait. Yes, there is a Sam, a female Sam Phillips who yes, is, is a singer yeah. and musician. Oh, she's older than um, I would have thought. She was born in 1962. Okay, it looks like her birth name was Leslie Ann Phillips, but her stage name was Sam Phillips. Huh, she's a, oh, this says she's a Christian pop singer in the early 1980s under Leslie, her name Leslie. And then she, oh, she actually has a wiki for Gilmore Girls. Oh my God. Yeah, she she has also composed scores for Gilmore Girls. For Gilmore Girls. Marvelous Miss Maisel, which I believe are all um amy sherman paladino shows yep how about that okay so anyway but there were two or three songs over the course of this episode that had a similar feel to them and they were kind of soft and somber and um soulful that kind of thing but and i think they had to do with whenever the cat story came up anyway that's all i got (laughs) yeah I, i think that's all i got i think we we covered all of my notes so yeah that's, we did that's so episode. that dear listeners is all for today yes i'm tessa dare you can find me at my website t-e-s-s-a-d-a-i-r.com that's tessadare.com where you can sign up for my email list or you can follow me on Instagram at author.tess.adair or on Twitter at authortessadair, all one word. And I am Beth Von Baron. You can find me on Instagram at stl underscore writer underscore Beth. This has been Where You Lead, our brilliant and fun podcast about the Gilmore Girls from the perspective of a mother and daughter. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And we'll tune in for our next episode in two weeks. See you then. Yep. See you then.